Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. He's Hacker. Talk about a fried egg. I lasted about five minutes out there. I said, to heck with this. I'll do this in the morning. And I don't have any inside information. The lady that did it, she got in there. I mean, she made it happen. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. And I do enjoy drinking cold beer at ballparks. So if that makes me a baseball fan, then I'm a diehard baseball fan. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday night to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM, our late night show. Are you kidding me? Ladies and gentlemen of Jacksonville, Florida, let me ask you a question. Where else would you rather be? I mean, where else would you rather be at 10.04 Eastern Standard Time on a Tuesday night than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on Hacker After Dark? And we certainly appreciate you joining us for our late night program. We got a lot to get into from the NBA to college football a little high school recruiting, and, of course, Super Bowl 58. Guest lineup in hour number one, my buddy Brent Beard talking college ball. And I want to throw a couple of things at Brent. I said this last night, and it's a number that's really stuck with me. 54 underclassmen in college football declared for the NFL draft this year. 54. Go back five years, 2019, over 140 players in college ball declared for the NFL draft. That is a drastic change. Obviously, that's NIL related. Obviously, that's transfer portal and the COVID year. And there's a lot of reasons for it. But it makes college football better, right? More people are staying longer in the game of college football. So we'll talk with Brent about that. A little senior bowl, a little Super Bowl talk as well. Also, speaking of the Super Bowl, we'll begin our previews tonight. Jose Sanchez, all49ers.com, out in Las Vegas. He will stop by to give us the San Francisco side of this matchup. That comes up in a little over an hour. Zach Hanchu of Roto World talking NBA as well later on in the 10 o'clock hour as the NBA trade deadline is less than 48 hours away, Thursday afternoon. Is the trade deadline, we are approaching the all-star game as most NBA teams only have about 30 games remaining in their regular season. So we got a lot to do. We're glad you're with us. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So I said this after Championship Sunday that I wasn't there yet with Kansas City and San Francisco. I was going to try to get there, but I wasn't enthused about it. I wanted Detroit. I thought Detroit, Kansas City would be awesome. I thought Detroit, Baltimore would be very good. I was a little bummed when San Francisco knocked out Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions. So I wasn't there yet. As we've gone on through the last eight or nine days, I've tried to get there. Of course, Denmark, as you know, that is the ultimate goal, right, is to get there. 
And I think now that it is Super Bowl week, I think that I've finally gotten to the point where I'm beginning to get excited about this game. Kansas City comes in. Dynasty, I think, will be the word of the day if they win. Maybe they're already a dynasty, but certainly they will be if they win on Sunday. That'll be three Super Bowls for Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. I think at that point, legit conversation can be had about Andy Reid being the greatest NFL coach of all time. I think legit conversation can be had about Patrick Mahomes maybe only being second at this point to Tom Brady among the greatest quarterbacks that have ever lived. And keep in mind, Patrick Mahomes is 28 years old. I believe he'll be 29 in July, and he's already going for his third Super Bowl, and he's playing in his fourth Super Bowl game. So that's the Kansas City side of things. Of course, there's the Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift stuff. As far as San Francisco goes, I think Brock Purdy's a great story, man. From Mr. Irrelevant, literally the last guy taken in the NFL draft to an NFC champion and one win away from a Super Bowl champion. That's a great story. It really is. Kyle Shanahan, the head coach, back in the Super Bowl, seven years since he was the coordinator in Atlanta when they blew a 28-3 lead to New England. He still gets blamed for that to this day. Kyle Shanahan can make up for a lot of wrongs in his coaching career if they get the victory. So I think that as lack of interest, lack of excitement as I had maybe a week ago about this game, I've finally gotten to the point that I'm intrigued by it. And again, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, to me that is a great story. I do think if Andy Reid wins, you could have the conversation about he and Belichick. I don't think there would be anybody above Andy Reid except for Belichick at that point. And again, Mahomes doing his thing, Kelsey doing his thing. And for Kansas City, remember on Christmas Day when Las Vegas went into Arrowhead and beat them. At that point on Christmas Day, there was legit conversation about Kansas City not winning their own division. There was legit conversation about how awful the receivers were from Marquez Valdez-Scantling to obviously Kadarius Toney and all points in between. And this just wasn't the year for the Chiefs. And think about what Kansas City has done. They went through Miami, Buffalo, and Baltimore. Miami, Buffalo, and Baltimore to get to this point. And they did the wins against, obviously, Buffalo and Baltimore on the road. Remember, Mahomes can't win a playoff game on the road. Once you take him out of Arrowhead, he's a different quarterback. Well, he goes into Bills Mafia and beats them. He goes into Baltimore, their first AFC championship game at home ever as the Baltimore Ravens, and he beats them. And now can he cap it off with another Super Bowl? And the ironic thing about all of this is San Francisco, you could legit argue, did not play better than Green Bay in the divisional round, yet they won the game. You could argue San Francisco did not play better than Detroit in the NFC Championship, yet they won the game. 
I almost think people have forgotten how good San Francisco is because they probably are lucky to be here. But remember what they did to Jacksonville. And I always think about this time of year in the Super Bowl, the Jaguars in relation to these two Super Bowl teams. Where is Jacksonville in relation to San Francisco? Where is Jacksonville in relation to Kansas City? Well, it's simple. They got outscored 51-12 to by both Super Bowl teams. The Jaguars lost to Kansas City 17-9. to The Jaguars were boat raced by San Francisco 34-3. Both games were right here in the friendly confines of Everbank Stadium. And the Jaguars could not muster an offensive touchdown in either game. That's pathetic, right? We want to talk about how close Jacksonville is to being a contender. And I do think they're a good team. Obviously, it was a disaster the last six weeks. But there is a big difference between being a good team and being a great team. And the great teams are playing on Sunday in the Super Bowl. And the great teams beat you by a combined score of 51-12 to in your home stadium this year. Again, in eight quarters against the Niners and the Chiefs, the Jaguars did not score an offensive touchdown. There is a lot of work to do here in Jacksonville. Last NFL game of the year, we'll certainly spend a lot of the rest of the week talking about it as Kansas City and San Francisco play in Super Bowl 58. Jose Sanchez, all49ers.com. He is coming up in about uh, 45 minutes or so, a little uh, less than an hour. Coming up next, into the world of college football. But it will have an NFL twist. We will talk Super Bowl, but I do want to dive in to these underclassmen that are not declaring for the NFL draft anymore. It makes the draft a lot weaker, a lot less depth in the NFL draft than in years past. Is it a good thing for college football? I think it is. Players are staying longer. Whether you hate NIL or not, the bottom line is NIL is keeping players in college longer, which is good for the sport of college football. We'll discuss that and more. A little college football talk with my buddy Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. It is a Tuesday night in Jacksonville, Florida with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Tuesday evening, and we are glad you are with us. All eyes on the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday, and we'll get into that a little bit. We still have some fallout from the Senior Bowl in Mobile, and there's a lot of interesting numbers, a lot of interesting tidbits I want to throw at my buddy Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, my friend? Well, I'm doing okay. Um, it's good to be it's good to be with you. And uh, again, we are uh, we, we are watching history uh, go before our eyes right now, aren't we? Yeah, there's a lot going on, no question about it. And one of the things I wanted to throw at you, and I thought this was really interesting. I've been talking to a lot of draft guys getting ready for the draft coming up in late April. Obviously, focusing on the Jaguars. And one of the things that was brought to my attention I think is really interesting when it comes to the world of college football. 
Brent, 54 players declared for the draft this year. Compare that to over 140 that declared for the draft after 2019. Obviously, direct relation to NIL, direct relation to transfer portal, the COVID year, all of that. But for people that complain about where we are in college football right now, Brent, it's helping the sport in that regard because many more guys are staying longer. Well, that's a positive thing, uh, and, and that's uh, that we've tracked this for years. And you, you had, and frankly, there have been way too many college football players who uh, left too early, uh, and they weren't ready to go, and they and their life just kind of spiraled down from there. But now they're able to get some money, and they can stay another year, maybe even two. Uh, so that that's one of the uh, I, I would I want to say few, uh, and I guess I mean that. Uh, but that's one of the few things that's really been beneficial from what we're dealing with today. I've often thought that guys should be allowed once they declare for the draft if yeah. it's not going their way. Now, when you get drafted, or if you make it to late April, then you're probably the ship has sailed at that point. But I think some guys should even be allowed to go through the combine, maybe even pro day. And if it's obvious they're not getting good reviews from the scouts, they should be allowed to go back. Because as you said, a lot of guys declare because they get horrible advice from people in their circle, and it really alters their life when they don't get drafted into the NFL. Well, look, I'll take it a step further. I've often thought that it would be be fair – if these guys get in the draft and they don't get drafted, then they could come back. Uh, now, the coaches would probably jump up down and scream about that because it would hurt their roster numbers. But, yeah, I, I agree with that totally, uh, that there needs to be something. Uh, and, and let me give you an example of this. Um, uh, you, you had two Alabama basketball players last year in – uh, Noah Gurley and Betty Ako, who uh, they get bad advice to go to the NBA. Okay, uh, neither one of them are doing anything. Uh, they were in the Betty Ako is not even in the G League anymore. Uh, so, uh, and he would have benefited, been one of the bi- the bigger big men uh, in the SEC. And I know that's uh, apples and oranges uh, with different sports. But but the point is still there, uh, if, and I'm with you. These guys need to have enough grace where if they make a mistake and go early and had no business going early, that they could come back and be able to play and finish their education. Brent, the general thought, again, we're here with Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. I know you do a lot of radio interviews. I know you were on with your brother earlier this week out in the state of Alabama. I always love that when Brent and Brett Beard get together on radio. I'm always curious, though, the thoughts about the portal, the thoughts about NIL from your circle of media brethren that cover the college football game. What is the thought on it right now in 2024? We're trying to get – it's like trying to handle a grease pig. Uh, we're trying to get a handle on it, and it's just really hard to do that. So – and we just don't know where this thing is going. But I will say that I that a lot of guys and women that I've talked to in the media really do think that we're headed toward NFL light 
meaning the day is coming sooner than later where we're going to have collective bargaining, we're going to have uh, contracts, which means my players can get fired too, and we're going to have a pay scale uh, that uh, is different from quarterbacks and offensive linemen. Of course, that, that is now to a degree. That's one thing. The other thing is that uh, the conferences are going to break away from the NCAA. They're going to morph into their own entity uh, and end up m- making a lot of um, different rules and so forth for themselves. So uh, are you hearing s- something similar? Yeah, it's interesting because you brought up the Big Ten and the SEC thing to me last week, and we'll get to that in a moment. And the reason I wanted to ask you about NIL is the NCAA all of a sudden, Brent, seems to be coming down on some of these schools. And Florida State a couple of weeks ago, and and now Tennessee is in the crosshairs, and Tennessee has come fighting back saying, wait a minute, if you're going to do this to us, there's every school in America is doing the same thing we're doing with these NILs and these um, money entities and everything going on now on these campuses. And I'm just curious why all of a sudden you think the NCAA is trying to make examples out of a couple of these programs. Uh, they're trying to resurrect themselves into being relevant again, uh, and they think that uh, the um, uh, by punishing some of these more high-profile schools, that that will help them uh, in the long run get back to being relevant and also – uh, will put the fear of God in some of these schools for them uh, when that probably that that ship has sailed. You remember, I remember it. There was a day, uh, decades ago, uh, to where uh, people were afraid of the NCAA, and that that caused them to, shall we say, behave a little bit more than that than they might be doing now. Um, so. Uh, and that's where some of that's coming from. They've got a new president. That they've got a. Uh, they're trying to streamline themselves, but yet they still are looking at this. Shall we say amateur model uh, that that they're basing their business on? In the world is changing, and they're not changing much because of it. Well, I don't blame Tennessee and Florida State because look everybody's doing it. You've heard stories. I've heard stories. Everybody's doing it. It's just odd that the NCAA decides, all right, those are the two schools that we're going to come after. If you're going to penalize Florida State and Tennessee, you're going to end up penalizing every school in college football at some point. Well, that's true, Uh, and and there is no doubt everyone is. Uh, And and look, a lot of the – see, Tennessee – is in this situation that they may have gone to by now or not announced it, but from what we understand, <laughs> Tennessee, the the uh, we're doing stories on the NCAA trying to hit Tennessee, and Tennessee hasn't even received the notice of allegations yet, so uh, or at least we haven't heard that they have. Um, uh, and I think the the other thing is. Uh, a lot of these schools, frankly, and this is true, I know they're trying to defend themselves, they really don't know what the rules are. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, it's like getting pulled over for going 70, uh, and there's no uh, speed limit. 
uh, and you're trying to explain that to the officer who doesn't understand. So uh, it, it it's a difficult situation right now, to say the least. You know, it is. Again, Brent Beard, you see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. And you talk about the future of collegiate athletics, and obviously that goes to NIL and the portal as we're talking about. You pointed out something to me late last week that's very interesting. Obviously, the two giants in college sports right now when it comes to conferences are the Big Ten and the Southeastern Conference. And apparently, Brent, there's been some dialogue between those two conferences about forming some sort of a committee to get together to talk about the future of collegiate athletics. Well, uh, this is a thing that people need to pay attention to because this is the direction that we're going. Uh, the SEC and the Big Ten are, uh, have basically fired a shot across the bow uh, to say either get your act together or we are uh, going to uh, go ahead and do our own thing. Uh, and, and, and doing our own thing means, uh, and, and they haven't got all that straightened out yet, but I can tell you they're working on it, and they're making plans for it. Uh, and they, they say they formed this committee. Well, they've been meeting for quite a, a while uh, is a reality of it. So, um, uh, and if they do this, um, this means that, um, look, they're, <laughs> they're tired of, uh, and I'm just throwing names out here, okay, North Dakota State, Southern Miss um, and Slippery Rock of, of telling them what to do. Uh, and, and, and those schools having as much say-so as they do, they want more money. I mean, they're getting more money, too. Let's be honest about that. Uh, but this is something that's truly happening, uh, and I think it's going to happen sooner or later. Uh, and, I, and, look, these are – these are people who are they're smart people. Uh, they know a lot of what they're doing. Uh, they've thought about this for quite a while. Uh, and it, it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, but this is going to happen, I believe, within five years to where uh, the SEC and Big Ten just basically form one, one humongous conference. Uh, and what this also means is other teams are going to get involved. The expansion is not over. Uh, and the ACC is going to be rated. It's going to start with Florida State because Florida State's going to announce before this summer that they're getting out. Uh, I mean, I mean, everybody knows they are, that they're just trying to negotiate uh, the money right now is what's happening. So uh, that that's the other huge thing that's going on before our eyes, too. That's crazy to think about that. And, again, I think that's the direction it's probably going. And let's yeah. play a hypothetical here. I mean, obviously, this is way down the line, and we're just spitballing. But if the Big Ten and the SEC do form some sort of super conference, right, and, and break away, I mean, what does that mean for teams like Virginia Tech and, and Kansas State? I mean, reputable programs yeah. in the yeah. Big 12 and the ACC – I mean, are they all going to try to get in this super conference? I wouldn't think there'd be room for everybody. No, it won't be, and I can understand them trying to do that. But your point is a good one, which leads to uh, the other part of this would be, uh, um, and look, what you may see uh, at some point is the SEC and the Big Ten having their own playoff within within both the conferences. 
So what that means is the teams that aren't going to be invited to play in the sandbox, they're going to have to do something. And particularly with the, uh, uh, what heck, the, the, the South Alabamas and the FIUs, uh, and, uh, in these non power five, you say five, now it's four non power four conferences. What they're going to have to do, Hank, they need to start meeting too, don't they? They, they need to start making up their own plan, uh, and form their own playoff and get their own TV contract. Uh, then that's, this is going to force these other schools if they want to or not, to eventually do that. And look, the other thing that you've got going on, and I'm not saying that this is going to happen, but you probably saw where Dartmouth basketball players are now considered employees of the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this has been a neighbor, uh, a National Labor Relations Board uh, ruling now, look, I'm not going to play lawyer and businessman here because a lot of this stuff we don't understand, and and and, and I don't want to confuse people. But we just we we've got Lord, we've got more going on right now, uh, and and more change uh, over the last few months, and probably toward the end of this year or next year than we will have had, I I, I won't hesitate to say, in 30 years. Yeah, the days of your grandfather, your father, or even your older brother's college athletics are over. It is a different ball game, no question about that. Brent, leave us with this. We'll do a lot more of this next week, and we'll recap the Super Bowl. I know you're a college guy, but you're also a football guy, and the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday you know, who would have ever thought when Brock Purdy was doing his thing in the Big 12 and Patrick oh, Mahomes, for that really? matter, as well, that they would yeah. one day meet up in Super Bowl 58. Uh, what's your thought on the Chiefs and the 49ers on Sunday evening? Well, I'll take the Chiefs um, uh, because of Mahomes and also uh, I, I just think their defense is playing well. I know they've got a lot of injuries. I get that. Uh, but it, it, it's still hard to bet against Mahomes, uh, in a situation like this. You're right. Purdy has been incredible. I love Debo Samuel, uh, and, uh, boy, you really wonder, uh, what he really, I mean, he was good, but you were, I mean, I mean, just to think about this, and you probably have, imagine if, if a Debo Samuel had been with, an Alabama or a Florida or Tennessee or Georgia, what that would have been. Yeah, you know, the thing Debo Samuel and the impact he has made in the NFL, I mean, I remember him at South Carolina, Brent, but he was, I mean, he was a good player, but what he's turned into, and you could say that about a lot of guys, Travis Kelsey, I don't remember him at Cincinnati, right? George Kittle at Iowa, I vaguely remember George Kittle at Iowa, and it's just amazing that these guys – for whatever reason, get overlooked for for a variety of different things. Yet they go to the NFL and they've all flourished. Yeah, uh, and give them credit for that. So, uh, but it is still, you know, almost like a national holiday uh, with that too. And, and, and listen, I don't I don't want to be the um, old man screaming at the cloud, <laughs> but this Pro Bowl thing's got to go. Uh, look. What, what, and I know some people probably enjoy that, 
Well, well, but what what they really need to do if they're not going to have a serious game, just have a banquet. Uh, and give out trophies and recognition and go from there. Yeah, they were playing tic-tac-toe with kickers. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. what they were doing. And Dan right. Orlovsky out threw all the Pro Bowl quarterbacks in the precision passing when he was wearing a suit and tie. It, it, it was an interesting week in Orlando, yeah. to say the yeah. least. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But, but I mean, the, the, I mean it's, the problem is, and NFL is too smart for this, when, when you get something that's becoming a joke, Hank, don't you have to do something? No, I agree. I agree. I, I mean, I watched some of it, but some of it was even too silly for me. You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, have a fantastic week. Enjoy the Super Bowl, and we'll be back next week to recap it and talk about what else is going on in the world of college football. Thank you, my friend. Always, brother. Take care. Half this year, compare that to over 140 that declared back in 2019 goes to show you the power of NIL. Speaking of college football, by the way, we'll do a little high school spotlight coming up in the 11 o'clock hour as a couple, actually not a couple, there's a lot of young men and women for that matter that are going to sign tomorrow on the February signing period. Remember, tomorrow was originally the national signing day. Tomorrow originally was the Super Bowl for recruitniks. Obviously, the early signing period in December has basically crushed that. 95% of the work is done now in December. But there are some guys that will be signing tomorrow, and we're actually going to have a couple of them on here on Hacker After Dark. Lathan Biddle of Bartram Trail, he's on his way to Utah. Get this for Lathan, 2,200 yards rushing and 26 touchdowns for Bartram Trail in 2023. He was incredible. He's actually getting ready to play baseball now for Bartram Trail before he heads to Salt Lake City. We'll have him on in the 11 o'clock hour. And Nico Smith, the quarterback from Uly. He spent three years at Uly, freshman, sophomore, and senior year. He went to Ware County in the state of Georgia for his junior year, and all he did was win a state championship there. Came back to Uly for his senior year, led the Hornets to the playoffs. He is going to be a walk-on down to the University of Miami and we'll talk to Nico Smith about that as well. So a little high school spotlight coming up in the 11 o'clock hour. Coming up next, the NBA trade deadline. Less than 48 hours away Thursday afternoon. What players are on the move? we got the All-Star break coming up, and we only have about 30 games remaining in the NBA regular season. Let's talk Orlando Magic. Let's talk Los Angeles Lakers and all points in between. My buddy Zach Hanshu of Roto World covering the National Basketball Association. He's next. Our late night show on a Tuesday. We're glad he stayed up with us. It's Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NBA, we are well past the midway point. The All-Star break is coming up. And, of course, the trade deadline comes up in two days on Thursday, February the 8th. With all that being said, let me welcome in my buddy Zach Hanshu of Roto World. He does a great job covering the NBA, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Zach, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Zach, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And all right, Paolo Bancaro, an all-star for the Orlando Magic. Uh, your reaction to Paolo getting that honor his second year in the league? 
I'll be honest with you, Ryan. I don't know how much I can how much I can add here. I mean, this guy has just been phenomenal this season. Um, I mean, he has his team in the position to make the playoffs this season. Um, he looks great. He looks phenomenal as a scorer. Um, you know, over the the last month, uh, he's shown that he can rebound. He can he can operate as the team's primary playmaker. Uh, you know, he's shown some really strong flashes on defense. Um, I don't know what else to add about this guy. I mean, he's he's just been phenomenal. It's amazing what happens when Orlando's healthy, and you and I have talked about this. There were times where they were without five or six or seven guys. Now they're healthy. They've won three in a row. Uh, they got a big couple of games coming up, Miami, San Antonio, Chicago. But the schedule's getting easier, Zach. I think I saw Orlando's got one of the easiest schedules remaining in the league. Boy, they could really accumulate some wins here down the stretch. Yeah, I think they definitely can. Uh, right now they're the seventh seed in the East. And as you mentioned, they kind of had that front-loaded schedule. Uh, they played some tough teams, especially some tough Western Conference teams. Um, and yeah, if they can they can start lightening up that schedule a little bit. They're four games over five hundred. They could certainly climb out of this play-in tournament. Trade deadline for Orlando. We've heard a lot of rumors, and what I don't understand, Zach, is all the rumors seem to be around point guards. And maybe I have my Orlando Magic blinders on here, but I like Markel Fultz, and I like Jalen Suggs and Cole Anthony, and. I mean, when I hear Kyle Lowry and I hear all these other guys that are rumored to Orlando, what is the thought there in your opinion? Why do they seem to be looking for point guard help? Yeah, I, I guess it's because, you know, Markel Fultz has, again, missed some time this season. Uh, you know, I guess that's always the concern with him. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you. I think this is a great collection of talent they had to guard. Uh, you have Cole Anthony, who's just that microwave scorer. Uh, you have Jalen Suggs, who's just a defensive hound. And then, of course, you have Markel Fultz. Uh, I mean, he can just do a little bit of everything. Uh, when he's healthy, I mean, he's a triple-double threat. He can rebound. He can pass. Um, obviously, he can score. Um, so I guess I guess they're projecting that, you know, the, the Magic want to get some veteran help in there. Uh, but I really don't see that argument. Um, I, I think – they're, they're doing great with the young talent they have, and I don't see why they would need to ruin that right now. It's a cohesive unit. Zach Hanshu of Roto World. Zach, what about the other team in the state of Florida? Miami actually is one game back of Orlando at the time you and I are talking. And, and look, they got great players. Obviously, they've had injury problems in their own right, but certainly Miami, 50 games in, disappointment? Is that fair where they're at right now? Yeah, I, I think it's big disappointment right now. Um, I I would say based on, uh, you know, maybe your expectations coming into the season. Um, I don't think anybody expected them to be at the same level they were last year. Uh, obviously, they lost some rotation pieces in Struess and Gabe Vincent. Uh, Kyle Lowry got shipped off and they brought in uh, Terry Rozier, who I, you know, I think they were expecting to uh, maybe provide a spark for them. Uh, but Terry Rozier is not a, he's not a true point guard like Kyle Lowry. He's a, uh, he's a high volume, low efficiency type of scorer. Um, and, and that's not really something they need right now. They have a good scorer in Tyler Hero. Uh, they have three point shooters who are capable. They have defense in Jimmy Butler and Bam. Um, so if they could bring in a true point guard, I think that would be helpful for them. But uh, I'm not entirely sure Rozier uh, is the answer for them. They're 2-8 and eight over their last 10, and they are really slipping down the standings right now. Zach, what does Doc Rivers do for the Milwaukee Bucks? 
Uh, well, it gets into a one and three record since joining the team. Um, I I don't know what he does for them. I, I guess he appeases Giannis. I mean, because and Dame, uh, I'm sure to a lesser degree, because both of those guys would have had to sign off on Griffin getting canned uh, and bringing in somebody like a Doc Rivers. Um, but I, to be honest with you, I'm a bit baffled, uh, you know, by the coaching change. Uh, Griffin had them in position to, uh, you know, compete for the number one seed. Zach Hanchu of Roto World talking NBA with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. In the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee fires their coach. Philadelphia has been in free fall, and now Joel Embiid is going to miss a significant amount of time. Zach, can Philly survive without Embiid until hopefully he gets back later in the year? Absolutely not. Uh, There's there's no reason to think that this team can be uh, competitive without Joel Embiid. Um, you know, they have Tyrese Maxey, who's going to really have to carry the load for them, uh, because this is, this is arguably one of the worst benches in basketball. Uh, I mean, they really have no depth on this team. Uh, you have an aging Tobias Harris. Um, like I mentioned, you have, uh, you have a Tyrese Maxey who's, who's just been phenomenal this year. Um, but he's really been better as, uh, as a one B, uh, you know, to Embiid's one A. Um, and then you have guys like a like a Kelly Oubre who is is capable, but again, he's not going to be that that top option that you're looking for. So, no, it, it's impossible, I think, to replace a 35 point score and and uh, potentially unanimous MVP had he stayed healthy. I mean, with all due respect to Milwaukee and Cleveland and New York, I mean they're good teams. Indiana, are the Eastern Conference playoffs going to be the Boston Celtics Invitational? I mean, is that the way it looks right now? I mean, that's the way it's looking right now. I, I mean, this team is deep. This team has the ability to, uh, you know, to rest their guys on back-to-backs. Um, they have uh, multiple all-stars. Um, it's just, yeah, they, they are pulling ahead of every other team in the conference. They're five games ahead of uh, Cleveland and Milwaukee at this point. Um, and, yeah, New York, Philly, Indiana, um, they're all a good ways back. Um, so, yeah, I think this is definitely the Celtics Invitational. Um, but you know what, though? I will give the caveat that I feel like we've said this in years past, and, you know, evidently the Celtics have some sort of, of postseason meltdown. Um, so, you know, as a West Virginia guy, I would love to see Joe Missoula get this team over the hump, though, this year. A couple of more for Zach Hanshu of Roto World covering the NBA. Zach, out west, look, I don't think a lot of people thought Minnesota and Oklahoma City were going to be carrying the torch in the west, but they kind of are right now. Who are you more surprised by, the T-Wolves or the Thunder? Uh, I'm more surprised by the T-Wolves. Um, I, I had high expectations for the Thunder coming into this season. Uh, you know, they, they look like a team on the rise last year. And I, I really think Chet Holmgren has, has kind of taken them over the top. Uh, you know, we can't really diminish uh, SGA's MVP level play either. Um, but the Timberwolves, I think they were such a disappointment last season and looked like they were trending in the wrong direction um, that it's just been great to see what they've been able to do this season. Uh, you know, one of the top defensive teams in the NBA, um, getting a lot of production out of their bench. Rudy Gobert, uh, you know, after last season's uh, debacle, seems like he's really starting to fit in now with Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, Anthony Edwards taking another step uh, in terms of scoring, in terms of efficiency. Um, so for me, it's the Minnesota Timberwolves. 
Denver, the defending champion, they've had a couple of losses, but obviously they're still very good. Dare I say the Clippers thing is working, right, with James Harden and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, at least for the here and now. What is your thought on the Western Conference as a whole here 50 games in? I I think this is, you know, we talked about the Eastern Conference being so top-heavy. I I think the Western Conference, we're going to see some fireworks in the playoffs here. I mean, we have – uh, the Thunder, uh, you know, the young guns coming out, taking over that top seed, uh, potentially competing for that top seed to close the season out. Uh, you have the Timberwolves, again, you know, reliant on their defense. Uh, and the Clippers, man, 9-1 and one over their last 10. They are surging right now. Uh, got the pleasure to go out and watch them play against Washington last week. Uh, they absolutely destroyed them. Um, and it's just it's crazy just how good Kawhi Leonard looks when he's healthy. Uh, Russell Westbrook can still get up. He can still give you some some good minutes off the bench. Uh, and James Harden, man, I mean, James Harden does what James Harden does. Um, so, yeah, I think the Clippers are a team to watch out for right now. They're really starting to put things together, uh, and they're surging at the right time. Zach, there are some really bad teams in the Eastern Conference, right? Charlotte, Washington, Detroit. I mean, I don't know if the NBA – can do anything or even wants to do anything, but is there a concern in the East particularly how good, say, the Celtics, Bucks, those teams are, and just how awful teams like Detroit, Charlotte, and Washington are right now? Yeah, I think there's a huge concern. Um, you know, I, I think people expected Washington to be bad after they had their fire sale last year. They got rid of Porzingis. They got rid of Beal. Uh, and, and just totally rebuilding the roster after you know years of just kind of languishing in that uh, you know mid tier in the East. Um, but Detroit, man, this is a this is an ownership problem. I mean, this team is consistently horrendous. Uh, and at six and forty three right now, I mean, this is this is maybe the worst they've ever looked. Um, I, I think coaching is a problem as well because the, they're you know if you look at some of the lineups they're putting out there, they're not giving minutes. Uh, to some of the young guys that they really need to prioritize, uh, you know, such as, you know, like an Oscar Thompson, who they took, uh, you know, with another lottery pick this year. Um, and, and Charlotte, I think the biggest concern for them uh, is going to be the health of LaMelo Ball. I, I mean, this guy cannot stay on the court. Uh, Brandon Miller has been absolutely phenomenal. Their number two pick this year. Uh, so I think the team is in good hands with him. But without LaMelo Ball, I mean, this is it's been a disaster for Charlotte. Zach Hanshu of Roto World. Zach, I know you got to run before we get out of here. Trade deadline, two days away. Uh, it's been a little active to this point. Ananobi, right, goes to the Knicks for Barrett and Quigley back to Toronto. That's probably the biggest one so far. How active will the next 48 hours or so be, in your opinion? Uh, I, I think there's a few teams uh, that, that absolutely should make some moves. Uh, I, I'm really looking for the Nuggets and Mavs to make some significant moves. Uh, I'm, I'm really thinking the Lakers um, are going to go ahead and make a move as well. They have been active at every trade deadline, uh, I feel like, for the, the past few years, uh, trying to get LeBron and AD some additional help. Uh, so I'm expecting it to be busy again this year. I think we have some teams, uh, you know, potentially like the, the Chicago Bulls that could be selling. Uh, I think the Hawks are going to be sellers as well. We know DeJounte Murray's on the block. 
Um, so I, I think we can see a, a flurry of deals here in the next 48 hours. It's going to be exciting. As an Orlando Magic fan, I would not be hurt by Murray getting out of Atlanta. That guy kills the Magic every time he plays us. Zach Hanchu of Roto World. Zach, I know you're busy, man. Thank you for the time. We'll do it again soon. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Super Bowl 58 on Sunday, February the 11th. It will be the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. The two teams remaining 32 started to remain and one will hoist the Lombardi Trophy on the 11th day of February. With that, when it comes to San Francisco, our guy out in the Bay Area is Jose Sanchez, all49ers.com, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jose, how you doing? I'm doing good, my friend. It's crazy how the 49ers pulled that out of their hat, huh? Two weeks in a row, Jose. I mean, you and I talked last week prior to the Detroit game after the Green Bay game, and I'm not sure the Packers did now play San Francisco, yet they found a way to win in the fourth quarter. And, man, the same thing. I'm not sure if Detroit did now play San Francisco. Yet again, San Francisco finds a way in the fourth quarter, and they're now NFC champions. Yeah, and that goes to show why they're the number one seed in an elite team, right? That you just can't give them – just can't give the 49ers, you know, your own one to two best quarters or even three. You have to literally consistently be that. And for the Lions, all they were was a first half. And the Packers, they were essentially that for three quarters. Um, but that just goes to show, like, how the 49ers really are this team that, like, hey, they're, they're the top seed for a reason. Like, you can't – they're good enough where they don't need their A or even B game. I mean, like, against the, against the Packers, I gave them, like, overall, like, a C, C-minus type of game. And against the Lions, it was, like, a C-plus, B-minus. And but that, that was not anywhere near their best games. That was – both of those games are in their, like – bottom five bottom six you know or even including the losses like it was just like man what is this team <laughs> what is this team looking looking like compared to what, we, what we've seen throughout the throughout the course of the year but I, I just say that you know luckily at least they were down like at halftime and not in the fourth quarter because if that was the case there's no way they're pulling that right out of the hat i was almost close to feeling in doubt that they were going to lose the lions only because again it was halftime I was like okay there's a chance but you know, how are you going to get these adjustments? Because it really was that Lions rushing attack, like it was against the Packers, that the rushing defense could not, could not do anything to slow them down. There was no, and it was no surprise that they were going to do that. They have two electric running backs, Samir Gibbs and uh, David Montgomery. So, yeah, that was just, it, it, they just basically just cannot continue to do this going to the Super Bowl. Because <laughs> right now I'm going to say, like, there's definitely a little concern with this area right now. Jose, the reaction among you and your colleagues out there, obviously it's gotten a lot of play since the game, just about Dan Campbell and the fourth downs. And I mean, look, Detroit did San Francisco to me a lot of favors in the way they managed that game. What was the reaction among the 49ers faithful out there among the way Detroit handled that? Yeah, I think there's a kind of a fair split in terms of uh, the 49ers actually you know, persevering and doing their own things. Um, and the other side, which I'm actually leaning more heavily on, is but the Lions gave that away. Dan Campbell was a fool for that fourth and two. And, and I get it. Like, oh, you know, it's what we do. It's what we do here. We're going fourth down. It's like, yeah, look, I get it. It's what you do. But what he kind of did was take a baseball standpoint, right? It's like, hey, here's the spreadsheet. We're going to do this all the way through the regular season, and we're going to do what we do in the postseason. It's like, no, you need adjustments. At some point, you need managerial adjustments. And in this game, you need to – 
read the room, read the situation. You guys are up by 14. You could have gone up by 17 after the Niners just cut it down to 14 in the previous drive. And what you do right there is more risk than reward, right? It's like it, it's like you risk just a first down for what, and then you, and then you fail that. It, it, it's essentially a turnover, right? It's a turnover that's going to feed the team, to feed the defense, and swing the momentum. It's like okay, we got a huge stop. This season could have been a score. Let's go down the field and beat them. And you know, it's not like the Niners were really pushing. It's not like the Forty Niners were really dominating on that ensuing drive after. But all it took was that one lucky, incredible outlier play from Brandon Ayuk to really, like, really put the momentum on the 49ers side. So, yeah, to me, I felt like it was definitely, like, more heavily skewed towards Dan Dan Campbell giving the 49ers life. And, heck, there's no denying, that was a turning point. I mean, even if Bosa coming off the field, I saw him in the post-game interview. He said, yeah, I think the time, like, I really swung it together was when we made that fourth and two stop. And it's like, well, (laughs) you know, you're kind of a fool if we're not taking that, Campbell. Just take the three points. You know, you're already up. It just reads the desperation. You know, he went for it on that fourth and two, but doesn't go for it on fourth down uh, going into the half when he's actually at the at the, at the touchdown, at the end zone. That, that made no sense to me. Yeah, it was a bad day. I like Dan Campbell a lot, but it was a bad day for him on Sunday. Jose Sanchez, all49ers.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, obviously the greats, Joe Montana, Steve Young, other guys like Colin Kaepernick, Jimmy Garoppolo, and now Brock Purdy adds his name to the list of got, of quarterbacks that have taken San Francisco to the Super Bowl. Jose, if Brock Purdy wins the game, if they're hoisting the Lombardi Trophy, kind of where does this put him in San Francisco lore among the great quarterbacks in that franchise's history? Yeah, he definitely supplants. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, Jeff Garcia, Colin Kaepernick, he'll definitely be quarterback number three, and I think especially because of his story, right? And it's not just for the 49ers. I think, like, NFL lords as well, right? You know, you, you were the mystery relevant, the last pick in the draft, and what I like to also say is he was a fringe, undrafted free agent, a fringe, undrafted free agent. He literally was minutes away from being that. It was insane to me, like, how close to the difference is, which actually, if he was an undrafted free agent, he'd be getting paid more right now. So, but it's just it's just a crazy story of how this would be about how a guy who really no one expected and the point I didn't expect it to be this either. You know, like I don't care what anybody says, they didn't expect this. If they did, they would have drafted them earlier. They, they they didn't know that. You know, that's why they went into their 2022 year. Trey Lance is their guy. Jimmy Garoppolo's their backup. Um, Brock Purdy's their third stringer. Because if they really believed in Brock Purdy and thought he was more capable, he would have been Trey Lance's direct backup. But he wasn't. And so they really stumbled upon him in the situation, which is funny because. They tried so hard for a few seasons to really look for that new quarterback uh, to replace Garoppolo. And it turns out the one that they ended up you know, finding as replacement was the one they weren't even looking for in the first place. So it's just like a crazy story of how it's gone, what he, what he did last year, you know, leading the 49ers to get to the Eagles, uh, uh, get to the NFC Championship against the Eagles, and then now to the Super Bowl. It, it, it's really fascinating and just a crazy story of where he's at and, and, you know, especially how he's doing it. He's not getting carried. He's not necessarily a game manager. I know there's, like, a lot of discourse out there. But, you know, he's not elite either. He's right there in the middle where he's a really good quarterback. This year he's been the sixth, seventh, or eighth best quarterback in my eyes. So, yeah, he, if they get it done, easily he's going to be, like, considered the third best quarterback even with his one Super Bowl. You know, the crazy thing, Jose, and you alluded to it there, the Trey Lance trade was horrific for San Francisco. I mean, it was awful. You could argue that was one of the worst trades in the history of the NFL with what they gave up, and yet it has not affected them 
at all. Such trades have literally altered franchises, yet it's as if San Francisco did not get affected by it one iota. I mean, that's crazy to think about. It is, right? Because any 80, 90% of the teams who would have gone through that would have gotten smoked by now. Kyle Sam would have got fired. Joe Miss would have gotten fired. But it just goes to show like how well these guys know how to hit in the other rounds, how to pick up these free agents. How to get how to how to get the most out of their players, right? And so, look, honestly, when Trey Lance was coming out, I was on board. Like twenty twenty one, he should start because he's raw, right? He hasn't played. Let the kid play, and he barely got any chances. And I was on board of doing that. But it's just you know when you're such a win now roster, it's like can we afford to wait? Is 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 seeing is seeing Trey Lance actually can be that guy worth? Wasting years of George Kittle, Kyle, Yusek, Chet Williams, Debo, Samuel, Brandon, Ayuk, Nick, but all these players, right? And it wasn't worth it. And then Brad Purdy comes in through you know coincidence because Lance got hurt, Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, and he just shows them something that like, whoa, we can actually win with this guy. We know we actually just has what he actually can do. So it, it made more sense for the 49ers going into the season like, hey, I know he has an elbow injury, but basically we know what he can do with this roster in various scenarios, high-pressure scenarios, including the playoffs, whereas why would we keep going with Lance? And so that's also why they moved on with him, and it turns out to be a brilliant idea. You know, thank God Purdy isn't feeling any repercussions from his elbow because now to me, like I've been saying ever since he stepped in the fold, is he's not necessarily an elite quarterback, but he's an optimizing quarterback, meaning now – Instead of just one or two all-star players like a Kittle or Debo Samuel um, finding impact in the game, with Purdy, every player eats. Kittle eats, Ayuk eats, Debo Samuel eats, McCaffrey eats in a singular game. That never was the case before with Garoppolo or any other quarterback. So, yeah, he's just been a perfectly optimizing figure, and it's just working out beautifully for them. And so, yeah, thankfully, nothing, none of those picks have gone you know, to really bite them in the rear end. And now, look, now they're looking into this draft with their first-round picks back. <laughs> they're really back in the fold again. Couple of more for Jose Sanchez, all49ers.com. Of course, San Francisco and Kansas City in Super Bowl 58. Jose, a handful of guys on the team were there four years ago when they lost Super Bowl 54. Obviously, George Kittle is the main one. We've seen that video making the rounds saying on the sideline that night, I'm going to get back here. I'm not going to let this define me. And it's taken four years. But they are back there, and lo and behold, they're playing the same team that beat them in Super Bowl 54. How much does that outcome four years ago for the guys that are still there, how much of a motivator will that be coming up for Super Bowl 58? Yeah, I think that should definitely be add a little oomph right, to their motivation, nice little push. But I think no matter who they were facing in the Super Bowl, like this was going to be it because they were really like galvanized. They were hurt, you know, gut punched after that Super Bowl loss, and you know, in that year, I actually was actually at the Super Bowl and got to talk to a couple of those players, and they were just really, <laughs> yeah, they were just really, like, somber. But Kittle was the more, like, upbeat one. It's like, you know, man, it is what it is. We'll be back here. And then, sure enough, you look, four years later, they're back here. And they've actually been knocking on the door for so many years. I think it's not just the loss against the Chiefs and that Super Bowl. It's the losses they've suffered through these last four years. It's that 2020 year where it was plagued by a plethora of injuries I've never seen before in sports. And then 2021 to fail at the end against the Rams, to not even have a chance last year against the Eagles because Brock Purdy got hurt on the first drive. And now you finally get here, it's like, I think this is one thing that they definitely cannot take for granted. Like, you guys know how hard it is to get here, how far you've come, how unfortunate your innings have been. So I understand that it would be a nice oomph because it's the same team that you lost to last time. 
But I think like it's it's the fact that you add on other all those other pains and losses that really fuels you maybe even harder than it does that Super Bowl loss. And the combination of them all should really get them locked in. And that's why I think, you know, entering this game, they're the ones facing the most pressure. You know, if the Chiefs lose, no one's going to bat nine. It's like, all right, cool. Like, they've been the four out of five Super Bowls. They already won two. It's fine. Like, they can afford it because, you know, I think everyone's going to think they're going to be back in the next year or two. Whereas the 49ers, it's like, you guys have been on the doorstep. You know, Brock Purdy isn't going to be on this cheap contract for long. Trent Williams isn't going to be on the team for, you know, he's here, he's already guaranteed next year, but what about all these other players, you know? So it's it, this is your time now. This is your time to really put it together and really that six Super Bowl. It is their time. It is their great opportunity. But do you believe that if they don't get it done this time around, could there be changes to this roster moving forward? Well, I think, I think if they lose this game, it's going to, I think for sure, first and foremost, if the roster-wise in terms of, you know, staff changes, I think they would probably consider a defensive coordinator change because Steve Wilkes, you know, he, he's, he's been fine this year. But what you notice, especially against the Lions, right, it's the run defense. What are you doing? There's no adjustments. All of a sudden, the adjustments come in the second half. And that's been the theme for most of this year where the defense will let the offense really, like, you know, throw their punches effectively in the first half, and then they come out and they really beat out. And it's like, look, you do that against the Chiefs, you're going to lose. Because they they're, they have a, best, a really good head coach, head coach in Andy Reid, and you're facing the best quarterback in the league. That's not going to fly. So it would be that. And then, you know, they'll be fine at quarterback. I think they would just have to look at what areas are weak, which is like offensive line. You know, defensive line this year has been really underwhelming. Um, they haven't really been getting much sacks. I think they're not even middling the pack, if that. So yeah, there there definitely has to be some tweaks, some uh, tweaks and little tinkers here that you guys would have to, that they would have to figure out because really it, the pressure's on them to win the Super Bowl. They should win the Super Bowl, and I've been saying you for weeks. There's no excuses to lose, even against one of the greatest quarterbacks and head coaches of all time. Final moments, Jose Sanchez, all 49ers.com. Jose, as we begin to wrap up, you and I talked a couple of weeks ago. San Francisco's been great. But they have not been great this year against the AFC, right? They lost to Baltimore. They lost to Cleveland. They lost to Cincinnati. They um, they beat Pittsburgh and they beat Jacksonville. So I believe they're two and three against the AFC this year. And now here Patrick Mahomes is and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid. And they just look very motivated after winning games against Miami, Buffalo, and, and Baltimore. I mean, how do you beat Mahomes if, if you're San Francisco – how do you beat Andy Reid? What's your game plan going in to try to knock off the defending world champions? Uh, well, first you do is you want to pray. Um, and so hopefully <laughs> that he gets like a, at least seven throws off and he throws like a multiple turnovers. Um, I appreciate your honesty on that. <laughs> it, it, look, it, it's funny because how we just talked about four years ago, what's the, what, and I've been saying this to, to many of my readers and you know colleagues, is like the difference between these 49ers and Chiefs teams, 49ers are the better offense. Have a weaker defense. Chiefs, Chiefs have a weaker offense, but a stronger defense. And to me, it's like even though the Chiefs are weaker this year, I think they've only scored 30 points three times this season. I saw yesterday, so they're not necessarily a team that can shoot out. But you know the way the 49ers defense, especially these last two games, it's like what are you doing? Like I feel like they're going to make the Chiefs look amazing. Like they're going to make them look normal, and then Travis Kelsey's been kind of turning up. So to me, it's like. To me, if the point can just get three, maybe four drives of like where you hold them to like nothing, maybe even field goals, you'll take that. 
because I think it's going to the real the real strength of the 49ers honestly this year has been in the offense. So it's not so much like what can you do defensively, it's what can you do offensively, which is keep that guy on the sideline. <laughs> keep him on the sideline. You have one of the best running backs in the league. Probably is going to go down as one of the best running backs of all time, Christian McCaffrey, MVP finalist. You have your two MVP finalists and Purdy and McCaffrey. Lead the way. You know, score the points. And hold possession. That's that's really the best way because the way the defense has been looking, you know, especially the last few games, and even the season, they're just, you know, they're good. They're good defense, sure, top ten. But you know, my home Chiefs offense is surging. I just, I'm just not really feeling at all confident in the 49ers defense. It's all this is going to have to be won on the 49ers offense. That's where the head coach resides. That's where all the talent is. So go out there and win the game on your side. Final question, Jose. With the game being in Vegas, obviously dollars make sense. It's going to take a lot of money. But there should be a lot of red for the San Francisco 49ers in that stadium, will there not? Oh, yeah, you say that. But actually, when I was in Miami, a plethora of Chiefs fans. It was 80 It was eighty to 20 in favor of Chiefs fans. Wow. Maybe even 90 to 10. And I, I know, it's like, hey, well, Miami, it's a five-hour trip you know, from the Bay Area. But like, hey, from Kansas City, what is it, like three, two and a half hours? You know, so I mean, and, and, and that was in Miami. Vegas is attacking, too. Um, so to me, it's like... Uh, maybe there'll be a, a, more of an uptick in 49ers fans, but I just, I, I honestly, I still think it's going to be a Chiefs home game. I'm actually, that was actually in the article of mine, because I have videos of like how loud the Chiefs came out to of the tunnels versus the 49ers, and it was night and day. So I'm actually expecting it to be a Chiefs home game. Interesting. Jose Sanchez of all49ers.com. Jose, I can't thank you enough. I know you're busy this week, brother. Uh, as always, enjoy the ball game, and we'll see what happens between Kansas City and San Francisco out there in Super Bowl 58. Appreciate you, my friend. Thank you so much, Right, Have a brilliant day, man. And the high school spotlight rolls on, 1010XL and 92.5 FM. You know, so much is brought in December with that signing period People tend to forget there's also a signing period this week in the month of February. And with that, let's head out to St. John's County. One of the best that was here in 2023 under the Friday Night Lights was at Bartram Trail. Running back Lathan Biddle is on his way to the University of Utah. And Lathan joins us here on 1010XL. Lathan, how you doing? Doing pretty good. How about you? Hey, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And First and foremost, congratulations, man, heading to Salt Lake City to play for Coach Kyle Whittingham in Utah. You must be very excited. Yes, sir, very excited. It's a beautiful place. What was it about Utah? What led you that direction? Well, you know, honestly, the coaches have been great the whole entire time through the whole process. Uh, I love Coach Q, uh, the running backs coach. He's always been there reaching out to me. And that place is beautiful, man. It's, it's great. The mountains are there. The stadium's massive campus is cool and then you have salt lake city right there and there's just so much to do so much to see um you know i like to snowboard and ski and all that so it's a perfect place for me you know people listening tonight might say jacksonville florida to utah well you're originally from kansas if i'm not mistaken so you're getting a broad view of the entire country right from the midwest down to the southeast now out west to utah obviously traveling around is not going to affect you very much Yes, sir. You know, I've lived uh, almost everywhere, so another move isn't isn't too bad for me. You know, for people, again, Lathan Biddle of Bartram Trail here with us on 1010XL, 2,200 yards rushing, 26 touchdowns, all the accolades of being one of the best players in the state of Florida. I believe you led the state in rushing, if I'm not mistaken. 
I mean, have yes, you sir. taken time out in the last couple of months to really think about what you did last season? You know, as soon as the season was over, uh, it kind of, you know, dawned on me, you know, what, what, what all happened, what all, what all we did as a team. Uh, and just, you know, feeling grateful for having such a good team, such a good O-line, such a good defense, because without all those other guys, we would have made it that far. And making it that far was um, a big reason in getting all of those yards, getting all those touchdowns, because you need more games to play to get more stats. Um, so I, I appreciate my team, um, first and foremost, for being so good. But, you know, after the season, thinking about it, talking to people, it was really fun to see those guys and how happy everyone was with the season, how it turned out. So, so it felt great. But, you know, now we're on to uh, a different thing. Um, ended up starting to play baseball again. So there's not really been much relaxing, just been getting back into it. Yeah, I know you're a multi-sport athlete. We'll get into that in a moment. You know, a lot was brought up of Bartram Trail after the retirement of Daryl Sutherland and how things were going to go. But, boy, Coach Johns came in and made an immediate impact with you guys what was it like to play for him last season it was great you know he came in um we we had to work stuff out at the start as you always do when you get a new coach new plays um new guy up there new new feel so once the team you know figured it all out rallied around each other um seniors kind of started talking you know like this is our team we got to lead the way so once we got into the season once we started playing we just got better every week uh, I think you can see that progression week in and week out. Some days, some some weeks, we needed the defense to step up and be great. Some days, we needed the offense to step up and be great. But through the whole year, uh, our team came together, came closer, got better every every week, which is a testament to how good of a coach he is. A couple of more for Lathan Biddle of Bartram Trail. He's on his way to the University of Utah. Look, they're entering the Big Twelve. That's a big deal, obviously, for Utah. But your schedule this year, I mean. Bartram Trail, I believe, had the second hardest schedule in the state of Florida, which that goes to make even more what you did. 2,200 rushing yards, 26 touchdowns, and you were playing the best teams in the state basically every week, either on a local level or a regional level. I mean, when you think back to the teams that you guys played against, the teams that you guys beat, it must make it even more special. Yeah, it was it was crazy playing those teams every week because you knew you had to go out there and perform at your very best um, or you weren't going to win that game or you weren't even going to have a close game. You had to get out there and really work because the teams we played week in and week out, once you do it every week, it starts to feel normal. Um, and I think that's a that's a good thing to feel, especially when you're going into the playoffs because you know you're going to get some good teams. But if you don't schedule your team hard games in the beginning of the season and throughout the season – you're going to lose that edge once you get to the playoffs. So I appreciate the the school and, and Coach Johns for um, getting us good games and getting us out there against the best teams, um, no matter what the no matter what the outcome or the circumstances were. You talk about getting ready for baseball. Obviously, we know how good you are on the football gridiron. How's the baseball game? How would you describe yourself as a baseball player? <laughs> well, um, I played baseball my freshman year. Uh, I hadn't picked up a bat or a glove for three years until tryouts uh, last week or a couple weeks ago uh, and you know, making the team. So that's good. You know, they, they need some they need some speed on the base pads, um, getting my swing back in. You know, I just want to hit home runs and run bases. So that should be fun. You know, it's interesting, too. I mean, you just committed to Utah, right? I mean, you don't necessarily yes, 
well, actually, not even necessarily. You don't need to play baseball for Bartram Trail. Do you just want that experience? Do you want to live out as much as you can the high school life before you head on to play football in Salt Lake City? Yeah, I mean, I, I got a lot of friends on the baseball team. The baseball coaches are are fun guys. They're great guys, too. Um, and I, I like being involved with the with the athletics and stuff like that. So another sport, another thing to keep the competitive juices flowing is always great. Um you know, I go to practice and then leave practice and go train for football. So it's it, it takes a lot more um, time and stuff to do, but it's fun. And I like getting out there and doing stuff. So it's a great time for me. I know originally from Kansas, you spent the last few years there at Bartram Trail. Certainly, when you think back on your time at Bartram Trail, as, as it's going to wind down, obviously, in the next couple of months, what are your memories from there out in St. John's County? Well, definitely got a lot of football memories. Um, you know, a couple, couple crazy games in there. Um, definitely a bunch of good times with the friends, uh, a lot of cool stuff, had a lot of great teachers, uh, made the classroom pretty fun. Um, and I, I'm appreciative of the whole experience. I can say a few things that stood out were definitely a couple of those playoff games down there in the panhandle. They got pretty crazy. Uh, a couple playoff games last year, you know, winning big against some teams. And then even the year before that, having a great team that had so many um, uh, college football players, D1 players, Power 5 players, playing with all those guys um, was so fun, and, and I learned a lot from all of them. So it's been a great four years, and sad to see it go, but excited about the next chapter. I tell people every time I go out to Bartram Trail, it's like a college football program with the amount of coaches you guys have and the dedication they put into the football program out there. It's second to none in the area. Lathan, as we say goodbye, what's the plan, man? Obviously, you're getting ready for baseball. Are you going to enroll at Utah in the summer? Are you going to wait till the fall? How's that going to work? We'll see. I got to keep talking with the coaches and see what the best option is. I think I'll be going up there in the summer. Um, that we, we talked about that, getting up there for summer camp and all that stuff. So, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if I was there this summer. Um, but yeah, you know, get ready, focus in, um, and start on the next, next journey. Again, there's not a lot of running backs with 2,200 yards and 26 touchdowns in a single season. Lathan Biddle did that at Bartram trail back here in 2023. Lathan, congratulations, man. Good luck heading out to Utah. And we'll certainly be watching you on the baseball, uh, diamond here over the next couple of months. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. And the high school spotlight continues here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM as the February signing period is tomorrow. And uh, Uly High School is going to have a couple people going to play big-time college football, including their quarterback, Nico Smith, who's on his way to the University of Miami. Nico joins us here tonight on 1010XL. Nico, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? Nico, we're good, man. Congratulations on the commitment to Miami. You're going to go down there to further your football career, your academic career. There were a lot of options for you. In the end, what was it about Miami? I mean, we took a visit uh, not too long ago. It was a fantastic experience all around. The coaches, the relationships that I know I can build. Um, and it was just – it was a beautiful campus. What about Small class sizes? Yeah, what about Mario like, Cristobal and the coaching staff? Really, really, do you like about them? They're just super. They focus a lot on me. So whenever, like, I felt like they were actually cared and took their time with me whenever I took that visit, and so I actually felt like I was important. 
And it was just, I mean, it opened my eyes. It was great. So that's also part of the reason why I chose to commit. You know, you've had quite the high school career, not just here at Uly, but certainly you were one of the players of the year in the state of Georgia for Ware County. Uh, you know, a lot of people compare Georgia football and Florida football and the high school ranks. You lived it in both states. Nico, what are the similarities, the differences between Georgia and Florida high school football? People always talk about how certain states are bigger for football, but, I mean, realistically, you can find talent everywhere. Kids might not have stars or have huge, like, names on social media or anything, but, I mean, there's talent everywhere. You play great competition no matter where you're at. And, I mean, Uly, Ware County, it's a great environment in any place you go to. I mean, obviously coming to Uly was a big deal for them. Again, Nico Smith here with us. What was it about Uly that led you to Nassau County, and how much did you enjoy your time there? I've actually been in Nassau County my entire life, so we moved back. I gotcha. So what about Uly High School? Did you enjoy your time there as a, what, a senior, a junior, and a senior? Yes, sir. Absolutely. I spent my time here except all my years except for my junior year. I have spent at Uly High or at Uly. And I mean, I couldn't ask for much more. It's a great community, great school. I've gotten so much from these people, these teachers, coaches. It's been a great place to grow up and live. Obviously, you're still a very young man about to enter college, your whole life in front of you. But, boy, some great life experiences, right? A player of the year in the state of Georgia. You come back to Uly High School to finish your high school career. What was it like playing for two different high schools at a very high level? It was great. Like, the level of competition pushed me to be at the ability I am now. Without the competition that I faced, I don't think I'd be in a position to go to Miami. Because without the skill set that I've gained from playing at these schools, I just wouldn't fit in with the talent that they have over there in Miami. You know, as we begin to wrap up with Nico Smith on his way down to Miami, you look at the quarterbacks in Northeast Florida this past season. There's you. I mean, there's obviously Trinity Christian, uh, the quarterback there going to LSU, Mandarin's quarterback who has another year of eligibility in high school, but he's committed to Florida State. I mean, Bishop Kenny's quarterback is going to Iowa, so on and so forth. The caliber of quarterbacks, Nico, in Northeast Florida this past year was incredible. What are your thoughts on being part of that class? I mean, it it feels great, and – what I think the best part about it is, is that I've grown up with these kids. So it's crazy to see all of us just succeeding and going far places. And it's just, I mean, it's incredible, especially James Reeser at Bishop Kenny. He used to um, be at Uly, and I actually was his receiver at one point. Wow. So yeah. that relationship is great. No, that's absolutely terrific. Now for Miami fans, Nico, that are listening tonight, that maybe haven't seen you play or they've only seen a two- or three-minute highlight tape, describe your game. You know, what type of quarterback are you? What what style of game do you bring to the table? I bring a little bit of everything. I'm definitely pass-first quarterback, but I extend plays when I need to. I'm definitely not your Lamar Jackson type, but, I mean, I would compare myself more to Jalen Hurts, just being able to run, having that big, strong build as well, and just being able to get those extra yards – good through my progressions and just a great leader on the field I think your head coach out there at Uly Kyle Doherty is one of my favorites in the area what was it like to play for him 
It's incredible. I mean, the relationship I have with him is uncomparable. Um, I mean, he's fantastic on and off the field. I see him every day at school. At practices, the energy was super high. We never had just down days where the team was just off. Like, he was always on top of us, being a great coach and just leader in general. You know, there were some down times for Yuli after Derrick Henry left, and your class the last three or four years has really brought Yuli back, including a couple of playoff runs, including your senior year and making it to round two of the playoffs. Do you look at back at your career at Yuli and say, we're the class that kind of brought Yuli High School back a little bit? Yeah, I mean, yes, sir, absolutely, because it hasn't been done since. Um, but we tied Derrick Henry's record for the school record. So, I mean, that's just an incredible feat to be able to do. And, I mean, it feels great to have this team, have these boys with me, and just be able to make history like that. As we wrap up with Nico Smith, Yuli High School on his way down to Miami, what's your schedule like now? Are you going to enroll in Miami in the summer? Are you going to enroll in the fall? What's the plan moving forward? I think I should be enrolled in the summer. We still have a few things to talk about and figure out, but I should be enrolled in the summer and definitely just lots of work outside of football, staying focused in the classroom, training on my own time, working out. It's going to be a busy schedule, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. Final question, Nico. Now that the recruiting process is over, I mean, I'm sure you had coaches calling you all hours of the day for a couple of years now when you're a player of the year in the state of Georgia. That tends to happen, right? And then you lead Yuli to a playoff run this year. Is it a sigh of relief? Is it a weight off your shoulders that it's over now and you can just focus on football? I would definitely say yes. It's been – it feels like it's been a long process, but looking back on it, I mean, it's in a blink of an eye, it's all gone. And that process is the only time I get to go through it. So, I mean, all the coaches that I've been in contact with, I appreciate them greatly. And I'm ready to take this next step forward. He was a tremendous quarterback up at Ware County his junior year. He came back to Uly his senior year, led them to the state playoffs. Nico Smith on his way to the University of Miami. Nico, best of luck, man. We'll be watching you down in Coral Gables, and we'll talk again soon. Yes, sir, absolutely. Thank you. And thank you to Nico Smith, the quarterback of Uly, who's on his way down to the University of Miami for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. And both of those young men, Nico Smith and Lathan Biddle, both terrific players here in Northeast Florida. Lathan for Bartram Trail. Of course, Nico for Uly, one on his way to Utah, one on his way to the University of Miami. And keep in mind, everybody talks about the December early signing period, and that's where about 90% of the work is done, maybe even 95%. There are still some that will sign on the dotted line tomorrow. Remember, tomorrow was, back in the day, the Super Bowl of recruiting, right? Wednesday of Super Bowl week always seemed to be National Signing Day when there was only one National Signing Day. So, obviously, a lot of luster is off of the February date because of everything that transpires in December, but it is still a very big day for a lot of local athletes here in Jacksonville tomorrow, and we certainly appreciate Lathan and Nico for taking time out for us here on Hacker After Dark. Well, that'll just about do it for our late-night show, our Tuesday night show here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us this evening. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Lathan Bettle of Bartram Trail. 
2,200 yards rushing. The guy also scored 26 touchdowns here in the senior season. Absolutely incredible. He's headed out to Salt Lake City to the University of Utah. And Nico Smith of Uly, who was a state champion in the state of Georgia for Ware County in 2022, came back to Uly in 2023, led them to the playoffs. He is on his way to the University of Miami. Thank you to Jose Sanchez, all49ers.com. As we focused on San Francisco tonight, we'll spend some time on Kansas City later in the week, but tonight it was all about the 49ers, and we appreciate Jose Sanchez for previewing Super Bowl 58 with us from the 49ers point of view. My man Zach Hanshu of Roto World talking NBA as the trade deadline is now less than 48 hours away. Thursday afternoon is the NBA trade deadline. And, of course, again, congratulations to Paolo Bencaro of the Orlando Magic for being named an NBA All-Star late last week. And you also heard from Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark as we always talk about the world of college football Tuesday evenings with my buddy Brent Beard. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer. Tonight, Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for staying up late with us on our late night show on a Tuesday here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday night, and we will do it all over again tomorrow night on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.